The code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis. And I'm Heather Artis. It's minute two of The Curse of the Black Pearl, and nothing says welcome back more than a short drop and a sudden stop. Well, that may be a heaping spoonful of superstition. I guess this movie is just jumping into things headfirst. So how's it going today, Heather? It's going okay. I've, it's been rainy for a few days, so I've got some restless dogs. I've been all cooped up inside. So if you hear a little um, scratching on the ground or maybe a little bark or whine here, I got a puppy and two other ones that just are a little restless these days. Restless dog syndrome. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get going. Yesterday, I mentioned that I was thrilled with how the movie bypasses the opening credits and immediately kind of immerses you into the film and begins its swashbuckling adventure. But because of that, we didn't really have this opening to ease us into things. I completely forgot a few items on my list that I would have been perfect to hit while the credits were rolling. So I was going to do this kind of Jeopardy style and quiz you on a few dates, but I know exactly how you are with movie years, so I figured I didn't want to throw you something like that, and then you'd be way off and maybe embarrass yourself. And Movie well. years, movie names, yeah, I get them all mixed up. <laughs> so let's save you from that and just move along. Curse of the Black Pearl grows $654 million at the global box office, which made it the number four movie of 2003. It was behind the $1.1 billion behemoth Lord of the Rings Return of the King, the $899 million ever-popular Finding Nemo, and the $742 million haul of Matrix Reloaded. I know you're a big fan of Matrix movies. Oh, yeah. Those are my favorite. (laughs) Funny enough, though, on the domestic side of things, Curse of the Black Pearl bested Matrix Reloaded here in the States to come in number three. So Yes! uh, Yeah, exactly. So at least we're number three here on our podcast for for 2003 in the States. Uh, Curse of the Black Pearl is also nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Actor in a Leading Role for Johnny Depp, Best Makeup, hmm, that's, maybe makeup could be a part of this movie, I'm, I'm not sure, I guess we'll have to wait and see as we move in the minutes, but I, I have this kind of feeling that it might have some makeup in it. Maybe just a little. Exactly. And then uh, also Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and then Best Visual Effects. But unfortunately, there were no wins for Curse of the Black Pearl. Oh, man. And this minute also introduces us to four primary characters that we'll see throughout the the movie. Josh and Gibbs, it's played by Kevin McNally. A young Elizabeth Swan, played by Lucinda Dysack. Governor Swan by Jonathan Price. And James Norrington by Jack Davenport. Although there will be plenty of time to explore the actors over the remaining 141 episodes, if you can believe that. Wow. I did find an interesting tidbit, or cinematic connection, if you want to say that, between McNally and Price. So besides taking on other 18th century roles like Judge Richard Woodhull in AMC's television series Turn, and voice acting in Assassin's Creed III video game, uh, McNally served as a crewman on the HMS Ranger in the James Bond flick, The Spy Who Loved Me. So besides the HMS Ranger, his duties now include a little rum drinking on the HMS Dauntless. And then, But that's not all. Jonathan Price, an accomplished actor for sure, also did a tour of duty in the 007 franchise Tomorrow Never Dies. 
it's kind of an interesting connection for them, but maybe not surprising for a couple of well-trained British actors for sure. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of rum drinking on the Dauntless, I'm sure there was a lot of rum drinking going on on the HMS Victory. The HMS Victory was actually the ship that inspired or at least helped create the Dauntless itself. It was also a 100-gun ship. The Dauntless, though, is equipped with slightly more than 100 cannons. For all those into the minute details, they were 35-pound cannons, and there's 52 on the port side, and then 52 on the starboard sides, and then two each on the bow and the stern. With all those details from, you know, Academy Awards to some of the actors and all that good stuff, I think it's time we get started with Minute 2. So let's get rolling. Sounds like a plan. A wide-eyed Elizabeth Swan stares at Gibbs, who just warned her of the dangers of singing about pirates. Lieutenant Norrington tells Gibbs that's enough. Gibbs responds, she was singing about pirates. Bad luck to sing about pirates, with us mired in this unnatural fog. Mark my words. Norrington replies in a rather dismissive tone, consider them marked. As Gibbs moves off, he mutters, bad luck to have a woman on board too, even a miniature one, and turns his back to take a drink from a flask. Elizabeth says how it would be exciting to meet a pirate, and Norrington describes his condemnation for those who partake in piracy, and vows to make sure the only thing waiting for them is a short drop and a sudden stop. With Gibbs miming an explanation to Elizabeth about the hangman's news, Governor Swan enters to end the conversation that has taken a decidedly morbid turn. The minute ends with Elizabeth telling her father that she thinks pirates are fascinating, and he replies, that's what concerns me. So I had a couple of takeaways from this first minute, and the, and the first one I really want to tackle is this kind of idea of superstitions. Gibbs really hits us with one passive reference, and then really two blatant ones about superstitions that, that really kind of get into the idea of who this character really is, is as we talked about before, a grizzled sailor, somebody who really understands and knows the seas and pirates, perhaps. And this really further begins to cement my idea of him as this 18th century stereotypical sailor, just as we're kind of imagining and what we are talking about, these stereotypical pirates of the Caribbean. We're seeing that now, not just with the pirates, but I think with the first kind of sailor that is introduced to us in this particular minute. And so the first one I'm seeing is that he's, you know, this mired in unnatural fog. We have singing about pirates and women on board that are really kind of these no-nos of the uh, of the military ship world, apparently, in the 18th century. England and probably perhaps are throughout the world. So as Gibbs hits us with these two superstitions in this minute and then mentions the unnatural fog and compounds his superstitious nature, and I'm sure that Norrington, at least from the way that he was talking, is really kind of believing that it's an irrational fear from Gibbs at this point. But is there any basis in fact about these, Heather? I actually kind of researched it. I was wondering, is it true that women were bad luck on board of a ship? And found that sailors are really superstitious uh, more than most of us. I don't know. I mean, we have a couple of dogs that seem pretty superstitious. <laughs> well, more than most people. <laughs> oh, people, people. That's it. So um, they did have women were bad luck, actually, because they angered the seas and caused I don't bad- know if I want to touch that one with a 10-foot pole, actually. <laughs> it's probably best to just stay away from it. So they caused bad weather and um, bad water. But there were also some other ones that I found kind of interesting And it just seems kind of strange that it was an actual superstition. Yeah, hit us with those for sure. Like um, bananas on board is bad luck. And it's because that in the 1700s, most disappearing ships were carrying cargoes of bananas. (laughs) So it's possible that all these treasure hunters out there are going to be diving down. Instead of finding gold, they're finding these old crates of bananas. Yeah, and the water's keeping them fresh. Nice. (laughs) 
Also, whistling or singing into the wind huh. uh, will whistle up a storm, as wow. they call it. So I found that kind of interesting. I have a couple more. Um, yeah. I thought this one kind of hit your Jaws reference yesterday. Lurking sharks is inevitable death. Huh. Is a sign of an inevitable death. I think that's usually only if you're in the water, though. Yeah, they didn't like it following them. <laughs> <laughs> and one more that I kind of like. You don't kill the albatross because they carry the souls of the dead sailors. But it's good luck if you do see one. Uh, yeah, I've heard that before about the albatross, but I didn't really know the reason why. So that's pretty interesting. And I, I think you were talking before the show about throwing a woman overboard or that was potential oh, yeah. to happen. If they're having bad weather and the water's bad, they would actually, if there's a woman on board, they would throw her overboard to try to appease the seas. So I should probably just say right now in this era of litigiousness that Pirates of the Caribbean Minute does not endorse throwing women overboard to appease the gods or to appease the seas. No. And if you do, that is on your own accord and it's not something that we endorse officially anyways. (laughs) And one last one, grooming as in like trimming your beard or your nails or cutting your hair is bad luck. Wow, interesting. Yeah, so that's why they were all scruffly and have long beards and yeah. Well, there you go. I can only imagine how crazy it must have been on board some of these ships with all these superstitions floating around. And then trying to be the leader or the captain of the ship trying to make sure that you're not uh, feeding those superstitions and then trying to get the work done. So I think maybe that's a good transition of keeping the work going and sailors happy, though, is is a good transition to the next topic that was on my list, which was what's in the flask. Gibbs really kind of does this sneaky behind the back turn and swig of a flask. And I can only imagine that that's rum. And so that's what I was curious about. You know, I'm just thinking that is rum. I think that's kind of a sign for what's to come for Gibbs. Actually, you know, kind of giving us a little glimpse that he's really not this Navy sailor, that he's something more. Because he's kind of hiding it, you know. Yeah, and then I was also thinking about that too. Why was he hiding it? Because we have our preconceived notions about drinking in the workplace to this day. And maybe that's some of it that comes in. But then I was really looking into what was rum or what was the importance of rum on ships back in the day. As I mentioned previously about Gibbs becoming this stereotypical sailor, here we have just another example that, you know, he's becoming this pirates, this typical Pirates of the Caribbean ride sailor that we see when we're actually at Disneyland. And when he takes that swig of rum, it really feeds right into that stereotype. And apparently, actually, rum became a problem when sailors started saving up their daily allotment and getting drunk. So they were getting Mm. a small shot, but they decided, hey, it would be better if I save it up and then I could actually have a lot more and then... uh, drink my problems away and so i think that's maybe why gibbs maybe sneaks a swallow is that he doesn't want to see that maybe it's saving up or maybe it was poor form to do so but this actually rum drinking was a british tradition that lasted for more than 300 years and all royal naval vessels would ring out the ship's bells just before noon each day sailors would then be called to deck to receive a daily 70 milliliter shot of rum called a tot And unfortunately, to the dismay of all British sailors, that tradition ended on July 31st, 1970. And, of course, they called it Black Tot Day. You can only imagine that no more rum coming out was definitely a black day indeed for those guys who were stuck on a ship. And it was also interesting because even the U.S. Navy adopted that tradition, but they ended it a lot sooner in 1914. 
And now that begs the question, as we're sitting here in the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute and talking Curse of the Black Pearl, talking pirates and talking rum, in the tradition of British Royal Navy and, a, and as a toast for Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, shouldn't we be taking shots of rum during the podcast? That's probably a really great idea. If I could handle the rum. Yeah, I don't know if you can handle the (laughs) rum, but it might make an interesting show. And then we can also do a review of all different rums. So it's probably best if everybody sends us bottles of (laughs) rum. And then we would be able to to really do a nice review, talk about pirates, and then really get into character. I think that might be something to explore. Maybe it's something later on we'll do that as a Facebook challenge, if we will. Maybe uh, we can get that to happen in some kind of crazy non-existent way i'm sure people are just waiting to send us bottles of rum (laughs) so you mentioned the curse of the black pearl received academy award nominations for both best sound editing and sound mixing did you notice any mix of background sounds happening during this minute it's really interesting you mentioned the background sounds. You probably saw me uh, sitting around and, and replaying the whole 60 seconds and, and really listening to it. And I really started to try and dive deep into this. What I was kind of like, it's like almost like a Napa wine tasting experience that was going on. You know, where you try to figure out the bouquet, that's the smells, the taste, and, and what do you what's in this particular wine that's giving it this full kind of body experience of this glass of wine and what goes into the wine to make it actually a whole And I counted 11 background sounds during this minute. And that may seem like a lot. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And I'm not even sure that I got them all. And it's probably actually a good challenge for all of the listeners out there to send us what sounds you hear and how many sounds you're hearing in this particular 60 seconds. And you can send those actually at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. I'd really be interested in, in what you're hearing. But I found things like some woodwind instruments, the creaking ship, there was some blowing wind, an eerie low hum, that's probably the best I can describe that, some background music, and then there was some waves that were in the ocean, and then the waves in the water that would hit the ship or brush up against the ship. There's the sounds of rope tightening, some footsteps sweeping, and then a faint few seabird sounds that I kept hearing. And so all of this was kind of playing into this maybe eeriness of the of the particular minute, and, and the fog is there. We're talking superstitions, but then all of these small sounds were really creating this well-rounded scene that really plays well, I think, and, and really showed how interesting it was that this movie was actually nominated for Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing. Maybe that's just something that's going to be more to come, but I thought that was a great example of how they were using so many different things to produce one great scene, and so I thought I was pretty impressed with it, actually, and so definitely send us what sounds you're hearing in the background. I'd love to, to see, and we can compare notes and see if we can build really a good list of what's actually in there. That is really amazing because you don't always think about the or listen to the background sounds in a movie. They're just there and they tie into the whole movie. But the work that is put into these movies with all these different sounds that the sound people do is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it really is amazing. And and I wouldn't have noticed it unless I was actually doing probably Pirates of the Caribbean Minute and really focusing on it and trying to break it down and, and really look into what goes into it. So I think there's so much in movies that we don't really see. Or maybe the, some of these things just play on the subconscious or maybe we just hear them, but we don't really take note of them. But in this particular instance, I was just really, really impressed with how they brought this whole scene together and really played into Gibbs' superstition, the whole kind of British regimented stuff that Norrington brings to the scene and how that he's more kind of refined. And then Elizabeth and interacting with the governor, it it really was like a, 
all of these things came together to to really set the tone again playing off of the pirates life for me song that we talked about in minute one so i think it's a good start yeah it is One more question for you. With the way women were typically portrayed in that era, especially for the privileged women, why would you think Elizabeth was excited or perhaps infatuated with the pirates? Yeah, it was something I was thinking about. And I can only kind of say it as Elizabeth Swan, at least a young Elizabeth Swan, we've only seen her now for in, in two minutes, really has this kind of clearly adventurous spirit and the need to break away from maybe traditional social conventions of her time. And it's not just in terms of her being a girl or a woman, but also kind of her class and privilege. It's something that is perhaps just too stifling for her. And I get the impression that daily life, for not just for her, but for women of that era, was yeah. really more about having all these obligations, having many obligations and a few choices. So pirate stories represented kind of this freedom of the high seas. It was people who didn't really have to answer to anybody. They didn't have any obligations put on them except that which they were doing or that which they put on themselves. So it was something that was appealing to her. And I think it was something not just appealing to her, but probably a lot of people. And even to this day, who doesn't want to be having the freedom of just going wherever you want, sailing the high seas? having some adventures every day and not having to worry about the doldrums of life if you will because life is what you make of it is a day-to-day thing it's it's just kind of at risk it's an adrenaline rush and i think that's what attracts her to it gotta watch out for that lurking shark though that's right you don't want any lurking sharks for sure no well unless you have anything else i guess that wraps up minute two I think we did pretty well. We covered all different aspects of this minute, actually. It didn't seem that long of a minute, but we did a pretty good job. (laughs) Yeah, we did. We covered from superstitions to the actors to rum drinking, which is probably the most important thing. And then some background sounds thrown in. So we'll be back tomorrow with minute three of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. You can contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. And visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter for additional content and post-episode discussions.